So again, we're going to be continuing our study of the flesh and spirit. As you can see, our, our subtitle for today, what we're going to be looking at is the knowledge of the heart of God in man. So th this idea of exploring the depths of God's heart, of our own heart, in a connection with that and our spirits and God's spirits and his spirit, excuse me, and how we can become closer in that is, is the goal of what I want to try to accomplish today here in our, our class. So I wanted to start out just revisiting some points that we, kind of our, our theme that we continue to make through, throughout our classes here, this idea of us being spiritually focused beings and when we look at our own spirit and the importance of the connection, the link to God, the connection, the link to others, feeling and seeing the presence and the power of God and fellowship with God. And we've talked about this being that being expressed throughout every moment of our life in Kyle spoke to us, we had a class here you on know, Wednesday about the connection link to each other and to God when we come together in our times of communal worship. And so today we're going to be digging in deeper, looking at our hearts, the heart of God, um, and the connection between the two, the connection uh, between our spirits also. And again, just kind of building up to what we're talking today, looking, kind of kind of backtracking this, I just wanted to revisit what John has to say at the beginning you know, of his gospel. When we look at his encounter with Nicodemus, and we look at his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And we've looked at those throughout our, our past classes, but it's always just a good reminder that you see that the narrative John is starting to build and present is this idea of, of the spirit and, and our spirit and how those, if you remember, as he's telling Nicodemus that here in John 3, he tells them no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. If you remember, Nicodemus had a very hard time understanding this, and that's what their their interaction was about. Jesus is obviously saying, "You sh you should have you should know about this, Nicodemus, and the importance of the Spirit giving birth to the Spirit, and how, as he continues, is that everyone who is, is needs to be born of of water and and the Spirit." In this difference in the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And then in the next chapter, when he encounters the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, um, you know, Darrell has spoken about this a lot, and just as a reminder, that as during this fascinating interaction he has with her, he says, you Samaritans, Worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming 
and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in, in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So we see, again, what, what, is, what is God seeking from those that identify with him? He's seeking this spiritual connection. As, he's, as Jesus is telling the woman at the well here, that that is who God is seeking to worship him. Those will worship him in spirit and in truth. So that, you know, leads us to what we're going to talk about today, building up to this idea of the connection between our hearts, God's heart, and our spirits, between the two. And when we look at First um, Corinthians second, excuse me, First Corinthians two is kind of our main passage this morning. And Darrell had a class on the majority of First Corinthians two, and you know how how Paul was getting across in his letter to the Corinthians, trying to get across to them about where. You know, how, how God's wisdom was revealed and how it continues to be revealed was, was through the Spirit. And he was also trying to get them to realize, he was telling them how immature they were when it came to spiritual matters. And it continues into chapter 3. And, you know, the, this idea of, as Darrell put it, he's getting trying to get across that in that they need to be tuned in spiritually, if I remember what Darrell said uh, a few weeks ago. So, and how this, having this spiritual mindset, how it, it plays out in, in our lives, or how it should, how it should have in their lives, and how, to us today, how it should be too, that we need to be enlightened if we are being, if we are connected spiritually with, with God through the Spirit, how we're supposed to be enlightened Christians and being tuned in uh, spiritually. And there's a little, there's a couple of verses here that I want to focus on today in um, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. And it's, again, just right, right here in the middle of the chapter. And <clears throat> it starts out, and he's talking about these things, he's talking about, you know, God's message of wisdom is revelation of, of wisdom. So Paul says, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So, when, when I read this, I don't know, there's a couple of, of things. This is such a, a profound thing that Paul is, is getting across. This idea of the thoughts of God, the Spirit knowing the thoughts of God. And then the parallel to that is the, our spirits knowing our thoughts. Knowing the depths of, of our hearts <coughs> and, and our thoughts. And 
again, are those things lined up? <clears throat> I guess. I, you know, I have a few, a few questions I think that are, are, are good for us uh, to ponder that I'll get here in, in a few minutes here. But, you know, this, this can be a very beautiful and profound thing. You know, this idea of, of our spirits, our hearts lining up with the spirit and heart of God. But what else could it be, too, if we're honest with ourselves? Maybe that's too vague of a question. I mean, could it also, I mean, if, if we're honest with ourselves, be a, maybe a scary thing to find out how, maybe how far away we might be from the, the heart of God the Spirit of God. So, you know, when, when, I, when I read this, and again, the idea of, of the Spirit searching God, our Spirit searching us, makes me want to consider what is, what is the condition of my heart? And our Spirit, as it's Going through our depths, going through our heart, what is it? What is it finding? And you know what? Based on the condition of my heart, what spirit is finding within my heart, within the depths? How is that? Or how is my you know spiritual connection to God based on? On those things. So, what are you? I've been yammering up here. What are your all's thoughts on on that? But hopefully, I haven't lost, lost you all. But I, what are your what are your thoughts? What other questions do you think would be helpful for us to ask ourselves when we you know consider this idea of our depths, our hearts? being lined up with with God's. I think the more you more you study and the more that you pray, uh, I think Spirit's with you when you're praying. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that you study, the closer you come to God and the more involved you are with what God wants you to do, the more happy He is with you in the way you're leading your life. Very good, very good. I agree. I think it can be overwhelming to think about truly lining up your spirit with the spirit of God. And, you know, I think about the not my will, but yours. And um, it's one thing to kind of go through the motions and do the things that we're supposed to do. But to think, oh, it has to be deeper than that. I have to be desiring the things that the Lord desires. And I have to be... Um, my very heart has to be the same as the Lord's. And that, you know, sometimes that can feel really overwhelming because I know my own heart and I know how many things I want that are not right. the Lord's will, you know? Oh, I completely agree. I think you can't really know what the condition of your heart is unless you take some time to ruminate mm -hmm. um, on those things. Um, I kind of thought of an analogy of like an athlete who knows their body very well, so when somebody
things really out of tune because they spend a lot of time with that and it's the same thing. You can kind of just breeze over the scripture and things like that, but unless you take some time to ruminate on those things, you don't really know your spiritual condition. Sometimes I feel like it can be to kind of maybe say the counterpoint of what's been said. Sometimes we have to go through the motions until our heart comes in alignment with God. C.S. Lewis talks about this. My dad has talked about there have been times where, you know, I just, I didn't necessarily feel it. I just continued to go to church. C.S. Lewis talks kind of in, in the context of how do I love this brother who right now I really don't. And you, sometimes you just kind of have to ask, well, what would I do if I loved this person? And if you truly want to, I think what's, what's happening there is that God is drawing near to us. His spirit will change us if we want it to. So sometimes that means just going through the motions. Until, you know, people say, fake it till you make it. I don't, I don't particularly like that because I'm wanting, it's kind of that idea of my spirit wants to do what is good. Yes. It's just very hard sometimes. Very good. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I think Paul is stressing that you have um, the revelation here and you have everything you need to take full advantage of the spirit and that is an opportunity that many people didn't have for a long time. He's somewhat paraphrasing Isaiah 64 here. You know, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And a lot of people take that to mean, oh, God is so much higher than you and his ways are so superior. You're really not doing yourself any favor by trying to figure it out. Paul's saying specifically to the Corinthians who kind of um, one of the criticisms or the way they would write him off is that Paul's very basic and doesn't really talk about deep things. Paul is saying, no, no, no. At this point in time, you are able to use the Spirit and examine the depths of God and understand the heart of God like no one has before. He says the same thing later in Ephesians 3. He'll say, there were other ages where people could not possibly fathom what God was doing, why he was doing it. Now we know that you can use the Spirit to take advantage and put that in your life. So not only should you do that, but if you don't, you are um, completely throwing away a wonderful gift that will uh, richly improve your life that other people didn't have the opportunity to do. Very good. And it, in, the, in the context, as Kyle's saying, and it continues in the context of this letter, is that they're, they're trying to puff themselves up. So I'm of this person, I'm of this person, how I came to know Jesus, and he's saying these spiritual matters are so much more important, and the spirit and the power that they have, that we have too, that's what you need to be focusing on, instead of how we get absorbed and distracted by all these other things that go on in our lives, and we could sit here for a long time and talk about those things, and what we can I don't know, it's almost like we delude ourselves because we get so wrapped up in all these other things that do have some importance, but we let them just take over. And then we find that our spiritual connection and our connection with our hearts are just completely lacking or void. So it's, again, the comments I appreciate so much about this idea of taking the time to, to really meditate and to... Pray about God's will, 
Where, where is my role in God's will? And help me to, to see that. <coughs> you know, God, please, you know, reveal your thoughts, reveal your heart. And we're, it's revealed throughout the scriptures, you know, and we see, I mean, what, what do we see about, you know, the nature of God? If we had to describe his, his heart, his nature, just what were some things that come top of mind to you all? He's very willing to help you if you let him. Yes, sir. Consistent. Consistent. Very good. Pure. Pure. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Loving. Loving. Yes, sir. I see a connection between this and Romans 8, where Paul is... His spirit understands his heart. And he's revealing to his readers what's going on in his heart, which oftentimes we're not prone to talk about and let anybody else know. But uh, is my heart aligned with the heart of God? That seems to be where Paul was going in, in that context. And there's a continual fight that he's, he's facing every day to keep his heart aligned with God. But it's in reality, it's something he's fighting all the time. So is my heart in tune, is my spirit in tune with my heart? Yes. But I, am I in tune with God? Am I willing to admit that and help others grow also by my mistakes. We're, we're just, we're all flawed. And I, I just see the connection here between what Paul is saying in Corinthians and what he's trying to say in Romans that I'm in a battle all the time. I need to I need to deal with that. I need to be humble before God for that very purpose. That's perfect, Jay. <clears throat> Excuse me, I appreciate that. It leads into the next passage I wanted to. I, I took a couple of verses out of Romans 8. Again, with this struggle, what, what Paul writes is, is the help that we have from the Spirit. So let's read that. This is Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So this is amazing and so thankful that that we have this that we have the spirit because i know we've all been in those you know confusing times what we don't know what to pray for and we feel very weak and maybe lost and alone and a lot of different things but we have this this help in the spirit and through that connection god is searching our hearts he knows the depths of our hearts. And again, hopefully that's a very comforting and powerful thing. 
If it's not, then we need to take stock in ourselves and be honest with ourselves. I mean, who are, who are we fooling? If we, if we say, well, I, you know, I'm good, and we just keep, you know, moving on and just, you know, trudging through life, ignoring, you know, cues or, or just, you know, scriptures like this, that we, we have this help, then the God is, is searching our hearts, and he wants us to be aligned. And it's a difficult thing, and that's why we are studying this, you know, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Um, and I think it's such a worthwhile, obviously such a worthwhile thing that we have these discussions and look at, dig into the word and see how we can be helped to align our hearts and align our spirits with, with God. Do I really want help? We need to ask ourselves that. It's a great, great question to ask ourselves. Are we stubborn? And we're all stubborn if we admit it. Um, I know I am, but are we daily working through that and working to try to get ourselves aligned with God? Yes, sir. And you know that could be, and probably most times is, a very private thing. Mm -hmm. But we can, we can know that God knows. That's the thing that is humbling to me. He already knows what I'm dealing with. Even though I'm not willing to admit it to you, He knows. Am I willing to admit it to Him? Am I willing to take His help? Because He's offering it. It's there. And sometimes I think that comes down to our confessing our sins to each other also. Admitting the weaknesses that we have because we all have them, like you said. Are we, you know, just as Justin talked about, are we going to be more like the woman at Jesus' feet? Or do we feel like, no, you know, I haven't been forgiven that much. Or do we feel like I've been forgiven so, so much? I mean, that, those are, the, I think, the, the great questions we need to be consistently asking ourselves. Randy, I, yeah. I'm thinking about that Pharisee that we were talking about earlier this morning, and it was a thought of his that Jesus knew and asked him, you know. So Jesus knew that person's thoughts, that he's going to know mine, yours, and, you know. Yeah. And I, I can't remember which gospel starts out, but that, that Jesus knew the hearts of all men. And he, of course, he continues to, but... Think about the way he dealt while he was here on earth with, with mankind, even though he knew their hearts. And he does the same with us today. He's, he's there to help if we will just give ourselves over and continue to break down our hearts and turn them towards him. And the rest of the passages I've, I've got for the few minutes we have left are, are looking at you know, God's desire for his people's heart, their hearts, and how he continues to desire that. And it's just, it's a theme throughout Scripture of this idea of him <clears throat> wanting to, to be on our hearts and to have that, that alignment. Uh, and so looking back in Ezekiel, again, 
how it was God's message that his people were going to, to come back and what he, his plans were for them and for, for their hearts. And how, you know, this, we see this fulfilled with the, with the coming of Jesus and the new covenant. And so let's, let's read a couple of passages here through, from Ezekiel. It says, They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from their heart of stone, excuse me, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. And then later in Ezekiel chapter 36, his, God's promise was, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So again, he's restating what he said back in Ezekiel 11. But again, this, this idea of taking away our heart of stone and giving us a heart and a spirit that is devoted to him. And what is that devotion going to cause his people to do and should cause us to do? Follow him. What's that? Follow him. Follow him, exactly. So again, we're conditioning our hearts. They're not divided. Their hearts are not fighting for the attention of other things. Again, our, our lives centered, our hearts centered on God, on Jesus. And if they are, then we will follow him. Yes? Why, why is he contrasting a heart of stone with a heart of flesh? I, I thought about that too. I think it's a great question. I don't know if I have the exact answer, but I think it's just a... Again, for, for the... Us as humans and them to hear that—that's such a visual visualization. Instead of maybe saying a heart, a heart of spirit, I don't know if that would make sense. But this idea of a stone versus flesh, something dead versus something living, and that's the living heart who's going to be able to receive His Spirit and hopefully be aligned with Him as well. Yes, sir. Our stubbornness. When you think of a rock, it doesn't want to move. I can be stubborn, especially toward God, and I'm having a heart of stone in that sense. Flesh can bend. Rock doesn't. But Back a couple of passages ago, I think there's even more hope in those than we realize. The Spirit is interceding in accordance with the will of God, not in accordance with my will, but for better than I can imagine. And I think we need to see that and be encouraged by that. 
we think of a little child and a little child comes to you and asks for something, but you give them something better than they asked for because you can see better than they can what they need. How much more the master can do that? We can be very short-sighted when it comes to our will. If we truly turn ourselves over to God's will, the endless possibilities that he can do through us individually, us as a group, his church as a whole, it's, those are the things we need to meditate on and think about and, and let God lead us. Somebody I wonder, yes. too, if, if the heart of stone is suggesting there's no change, there's no, uh, I think that's what the brother was pointing out, there's, there's no uh, inclination to uh, think about God. I've already decided. Whereas a heart of flesh, there's that war there. There's, there's a back and forth going on in our flesh. In the heart of stone, it's already in concrete. Yes. So he wants to change that. He wants to give us a heart that, where that war is going on. Now that sounds awful, but where that war is going on, like Paul described, and we can make choices. The heart of stone seems to me suggest there's no choice. It just seems like it's just a simple comparison. You know, we, everything it said is right and all that. But Paul is using things that they're very familiar with. Everybody knew what a stone was. And they knew what the heart was. And it's a comparison between the two. How do you affect a rock? You really don't. It's just there. The flesh, the heart of flesh, is susceptible to change. It's susceptible to help. It, it's, there's hope there. And, and you compare these two, and that's all. That's what it is, is a comparison. I also wonder if, why, why is he, why is he conditioning us? Why is he making us like him? Number one, he loves us. He wants to be with us. And so he wants to cleanse us. But we're also heirs with Jesus to his throne. And you know, who, who would you rather have as your king? Someone with a hard heart? It makes me think of Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Or someone with a caring, loving heart, a heart of flesh. Someone who is sympathetic to those he's over and I don't pretend to know what in what capacity we're going to be ruling that I, a whole different topic but I think I think part of what he is doing is training us for leadership training us to to rule with Jesus and to be good rulers very good so if I asked you to think of somebody from the scriptures who has their, had their heart aligned with God. <coughs> I'm just going to skip to it. I thought of David. Maybe you all thought of the same too. Because what, what does, what are we told that David, his description in the, 
Yeah, the man after God's own heart. So you see that description in in Acts. And I pulled up an excerpt from Psalm 51. And again, he wrote this after after Nathan, you know, the prophet, exposed him or had him himself exposed to his own sin of adultery and of murder. And the few verses here, what David says is, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your, your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So, it, you know, David got it. He, he got the connection of his heart to God's, to his spirit to God's. And we, we see that displayed right here. And we see that displayed through, through his life. Um, and it's, it's just amazing the way when he realizes his, the depth of his sin, the need for you know, God to basically cleanse him, for him to receive him back, this idea of give me, God, uh, give me a pure heart. Please do not take your spirit away from me. Those are the things he realized that he needed to sustain himself. Uh, it's just powerful language and his his connection to God. I think it's even more powerful when you think about David. Uh, he knew that he had the Spirit of God with him, mm -hmm. right? And we see from Samuel that when David is anointed, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then the very next verse says that the spirit of the Lord was taken away from Saul. And I think of Saul as one of the most tragic characters in the Bible that had the spirit of the Lord, had everything that he needed to be a great leader for Israel, and he, he threw it all away because of his own stubbornness, because of his heart of stone, whatever you may want to say about Saul. It, jealousy, uh, whatever it was. Um, and David saw the tragedy of Saul's life when the Spirit of the Lord was taken away from him. And his plea here to not take, don't, don't take your Holy Spirit from me is all the more weighty because of his knowledge of the tragedy of Saul when the Spirit is taken away. Yes, it is. it's a sharp contrast. And, and David lived out both of them. When the spirits take away from Saul, and Saul's trying to kill David, as he he has the spirit, but yes, David. Yes. I think uh, going back to First Corinthians two, mm -hmm. verse fourteen. But this natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. When I think about people in in Scripture that uh, were spiritually minded. Everyone, everyone around them didn't get what they were doing. When David goes up against Goliath, everybody says, <laughs> King Saul says, what are you doing? You know, you can't, you can't take on Goliath. Jesus, constantly, he's saying and doing things, and his apostles and people around him don't get it. 
because they're not spiritually minded. Paul, when you know, throughout his ministry, but I think you know, when he was told that he would be bound if he goes to Jerusalem, people saying, "Don't go to Jerusalem." He said, "I'm going anyways." Um, so it's it can be an indication to us, and maybe a, a something we can think about when we're considering, you know, am I spiritually minded? Is is the spirit, you know, in my life? Does my life complete? If if someone were to audit my life that was carnally minded, would it make sense? Right. If we're living in the spirit, it doesn't make sense to the world, right? Um, so it's just some maybe something we can think about and and consider when evaluating ourselves. You know, um, if it makes sense to the world, it's probably not in the spirit. Yeah, very good. Very good point. And I. I wanted you to follow up with, with David because you know we're told when he he had his his fall, his sin with, with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah, that you know, what were we told? You know, his armies were going out to battle. And what did David do? Stayed back. He stayed back, right. So again, what we're all talking about here is this continual, as David put it, audit or continual kind of eye on the prize. And you know, if we, we, we all fail, but we all need to be myself daily, just continually realigning ourselves with, with the Spirit, with God's heart. Because it's so easy to, to take our eye off and how quickly this happened to David. You know, and, and thankfully he recognized it and we can see his, his repentance and the condition of his heart and, and of his spirit. But it, it's, a, it's a daily, again, a daily battle of the flesh and spirit and making sure that we are aligned. Any other thoughts? We've got a few seconds here. God's got a better memory than we do. <laughs> Yes, but thankfully, you know, as we read in the psalm this morning, he does, you know, thankfully he doesn't remember all of our sins, you know, and, and we can um, be reassured of that. So thank you all so much. <laughs>